Hi there, and welcome to another episode of A Light Unto My Path podcast. I'm your host, Howard Sides. Uh, Today is part two of uh, Let Freedom Ring, which is a look into the events and uh, situations uh, involved in bringing about the American Revolution up to the point of the First Continental Congress. And, of course, there were uh, many events in a couple of years uh, after the first one uh, where independence took place and then the, the war took place and uh, the writing of the Declaration and all of that. But I, I just wanted to focus on this small portion because there's no way you could cover all that. I mean, I, I put on about, I don't know, 20 or 25 episodes with everything involved with all of the American Revolution. But we, we're focusing on... Uh, uh, seven specific events that brought about the American Revolution. I know there's many more things that went on, but we're trying to tie it into seven events that kind of stand out just to give us a, a starting point uh, in a timeline. As far as uh, in, uh, interesting facts or, or importance, there may be more, uh, but th- these are just the ones that uh, I could narrow down uh, on my own thoughts. But anyway... Um, as a rehearse, uh, we covered the first six, the first being the Stamp Act of March uh, 1765. Uh, the second event was the Townsend Acts of June, July 1767. Uh, the third event was the Boston Massacre, March 1770. Fourth event, the Boston Tea Party of December 1773. The fifth event was the Coercive Acts uh, which took place March to June of 1774. And the fifth was, sorry, sixth. <laughs> yeah, I had to catch myself there. Uh, the sixth events, there's two, but they basically together is Lexington and Concord, April 1775. And that brings us up to the seventh point, which is the final point. Um, this is considered, and, and the reason a lot, a lot of it, uh, the, the, there, there's no fancy name with this one. There's no um, uh, individual famous person involved with this. But, but from what I understand and from what I've read in the books, that this is the one action uh, that solidified the uh, southern and the northern colonies in coming together to meet together. Uh, it, it didn't wrap everything up where they would unanimous, unanimously vote for the Declaration of Independence. That's another argument for another day, or another lesson for another day, however you want to look at it. But um, the one event that brought about the first Continental Congress, the, the last thing to bring it about, uh, were the British attacks, basically naval attacks, on toke, on coastal towns, uh, specifically being two of them. Uh, from October 1775 to January of 1776. Now, as I said, up to this point, the southern colonies were mostly resistant to joining forces with the northern colonies as they just didn't, simply didn't trust them and respect each other totally. And that, and that went both ways. There were issues along uh, both camps, and it carried on for hundreds of years. There was nothing, but uh, this, these events uh, kind of nailed it down. And it just so happened that it was where they were. Of course, one happened in the north, <clears throat> excuse me, and one happened in the southern uh, region, or, or what is basically was then considered the southern region uh, in Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, but the first one was uh, 
the naval bombardment, I guess that's the proper way of pronouncing it, the naval bombardment of Falmouth, Massachusetts, and then later was Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, now, it was reported that in Falmouth, the townspeople had to hurriedly grab possessions before the British naval cannons opened fire. From what I understand uh, and what I've read, uh, it was here in Falmouth that the ships just kind of showed up and uh, they gave, like, the townspeople, the townspeople realized what was going to happen and kind of grabbed their stuff and ran, and then they started firing on the town. Well, in Norfolk, they actually gave them a, a little warning. I may be wrong on that. I may have it backwards and maybe even completely wrong on it. But however it was, uh, they fired on these towns uh, with the cannons and set them on fire. And even General George Washington, who was uh, by this time a general, uh, denounced these actions as, and I quote, exceeding in barbarity and cruelty in every hostile act practiced among civilized nations. So he pretty much thought that what they did was the most cruel thing that... A civilized nation could do. All right. That brings us <clears throat> to the event of the First Continental Congress, which takes place on Tuesday, nine o'clock in the morning, September the sixth, seventeen seventy-four. There were fifty-six men who met for this meeting, representing twelve colonies, and the one that was missing was Georgia. Georgia felt they didn't have a uh, bear in this fight, as it were, they thought that uh, the king was doing everything necessary. They were willing to uh, see it the king's way. They were very pro-king. They were a colony of mostly Tories, I guess is how you'd put it. Um, and again, there, there was the issue with Canada. Uh, many early colonists thought that Canada would eventually become one of the other colonies, like a 14th colony, uh, but that didn't come about, and actually uh, English Parliament granted them pretty much the power or the authority to become a nation of their own, uh, and, and it was basically a Roman Catholic nation, so that ended that. So uh, each one of the uh, colonies uh, were represented by how many people? So, 12 colonies, talking 56 men. Now, the meeting was first, uh, the, the very first thing to actually happen before uh, the meeting actually took place, it was like a couple of days before that, was this event of the powder alarm. Uh, the uh, September 1st, 1774, the powder alarm, where the uh, British troops went into Charlestown, Massachusetts, and seized that sub large, the largest supply of gunpowder in Massachusetts. And then the, uh, uh, oh, wait a minute, I think I'm in the wrong place here. Uh, let me roll back here, make sure I'm in the right place. Yeah, yeah, I'm in the right place. Yeah, the powder alarm. Yeah, it's when, when they all uh, uh, took all that large gunpowder storage and the rumors started spreading that the British were firing on the people and blowing up Boston, you know, with a naval bombardment. Uh, and then the 5,000 militiamen showed up and all that. Yeah, this, this was just on September the 1st. So here we are uh, just a couple days later, September the 6th, not even a week, and Congress is meeting. And 
the only news they've had is this worst, uh, uh, the worst uh, example of the story. They they they'd heard that Britain had fired on all the citizens and killed a bunch of people, and that the navy was bombed. That's all they'd heard. But these men were smart enough to not overreact. They knew that some of this information gets blown out of proportion. They even knew that then. Uh, and so they weren't trusting these rumors as fact just yet. They wanted to get people who had actually been there, <clears throat> who were coming to here in Philadelphia that knew had firsthand knowledge that could tell them so they know for, in fact, what happened. Now, uh, to understand uh, the... the what this first Continental Congress uh, was facing. Uh, and then we assume, you know, here we are, we're at the luxury of looking back on this. Um, we've had a nation of over 200 years of, of freedom, uh, a government system that, that works better than any other system that there is. And we've reaped the benefits of that. But try and put yourself... Um, in the position of these men where they're behind this, that they're, it's not happened yet. They're behind this and they're trying to work up to reach this point. None, none of, none of most of this stuff that goes on has ever happened before. And, and so there's this massive challenge in front of them to, to come about to finding what the right course of action will be. They did not set out in the first continental Congress with the idea of, setting out for their own independence. That's not what it was about. Uh, they were meeting, there was a just as many people who wanted to uh, make reparations with the king as there were that wanted to do their own thing. And so there had to be, uh, for a majority decision, a compromise of some kind. They had to come together somehow. So uh, to kind of understand a little uh of, of what was going through their minds, uh, of what they were facing. Uh, here's some of the issues that were going on. Now, number one, we know uh, that they were gathering illegally. Any one of them could have been arrested for being at this meeting right right off the bat. Uh, very seriously, probably hung as well. Um, again, there was the distrust between the northern and the southern colonies. Uh, while they did come together after the naval bombardment of of the two cities there that we talked about earlier, of uh, Falmouth, Massachusetts, and Norfolk, uh, Virginia, th there still wasn't this, okay, everything's forgiven, and all right, we're, we're working good together now. There, there was still issues that had to be over. And believe it or not, one of the big issues was slavery. Uh, now, later on, I'm kind of jumping ahead here, uh, not in the lesson, but later on in, in the events of things coming about, but uh, the three men involved with, with uh, the three main men that we know who were involved with the writing of the Declaration of Independence were Thomas Jefferson, who was the actual writer. He was the youngest of all of them. Uh, Benjamin Franklin and then uh, uh, John Adams. Now, in one of the original drafts, it is known that Thomas Jefferson uh, mentioned the abolishment of slavery. Now, while many of them agreed with this, Listen to me. While many of them agreed with this, they knew that if they kept that in there, there would never be a unanimous vote 
because so many southern states relied on slaves to work the fields, work cotton, however it was it was. Um, and so they had to take that out. There, there was no choice. All right? It wasn't about whether it was the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. They had to focus on the main point and worry about all these other things later. They had to come to a place where all, all 12 colonies at the time, or all 13 colonies, uh, could come together and agree. It had to be unanimous. So that, that was a major struggle. Uh, it would never happen today. I mean, you look at these people and how they acted like children against each other, and they're supposed to be the leaders of the free world. I don't think so. Uh, but anyway, uh, so that's what all of these people were facing here. Uh, it was just a, a paramount, monumental uh, task before them. Um, and again, two of the main opposing views, now we talked about it, one was a total break from Great Britain to establish their own form of government, and then the other side, which was just as powerful, uh, was seeking a form of reparation with King George, even to the extent of paying for the tea damage during the Boston Tea Party. And as it eventually comes out um, from this uh, First Continental Congress, uh, the ones of this idea of making reparations were strong enough that the Congress agreed to send a letter of grievances, as it were, to the king to state, hey, look, I, I know things are getting out of hand, but look, let, let's handle this like men. Uh, let, let's step back a minute and see what's going on, and let's come to an agreement on this. And, and that's where, uh, of course, the king totally ignored it and thumbed his nose at him, and that's pretty much where the parts uh, of the Congress seeking reparation lost their power and position because the king just wasn't having anything with it. So the other part uh, of, of the challenge to them was they were trying to establish a totally new form of government, uh, a totally new form of government, which, secure, which was looking to secure freedom, liberty, and basic human and religious rights, nothing of which had existed in the entire history of the world up to this point. Nothing like this had ever existed. How do you start? How do you proceed? N none of this had been done before, again. So, again, there had to be a final unanimous decision of all colonies uh, before they could proceed uh, with any kind of uh, independence or that. I, that. That was the focus of men like Samuel Adams, John Hancock, uh, Benjamin Franklin to the most point, um, he had a severe, uh, a serious love for England, which a lot of them did. And I understand that. That was their home country. I, I get it. Uh, but but s some of these men were just totally against this idea. Some of them were totally for it and just couldn't see anything else. So th this was a major challenge. So here, here were some of the things that they were uh, meeting with. Uh, one of the first events that they took about them was the order of electing a uh, presiding uh, president, a sitting president, uh, to oversee the process of the meeting and that sort of thing. And they did all agree on one man. That was Peyton Randolph of Virginia, uh, who was selected to be the first president of the very first Continental Congress. And this is pretty much, uh, I won't say it is verbatim, uh, but it's a lot of, of how this meeting went on. So President Randolph, he stands up and says, I would appreciate a suggestion on how we should proceed. 
Thomas Cushing, uh, he was, I believe, from Massachusetts. I'm pretty sure. I didn't write it in here. May have to add it later. But I'm pretty sure he was from Massachusetts, I think. Thomas Cushing. Uh, may, he says, may I request a prayer, gentlemen? Mr. Randolph, if you would consider it acceptable, perhaps some devotional text to begin these proceedings. Right off from the bat, they had no guidebook to go by as far as how to set up your own independent country, how to prom, uh, promote laws that will be carried down for 200 years. Uh, there's, there's no constitution uh, in the world that has exercised the power of being the law in a land like the United States has. Uh, it's just, it's so unique. And it goes back to the very beginning of, of uh, what Mr. Uh, or what Dr. Grady said there. It, this was a divine act. Uh, these men were brave and they were courageous in what they did, but they faced such insurmountable odds at moments that they were in fights that they should never have even survived, and they won. Uh, it was without a doubt to the ones who were there, uh, it was an act of divine providence. And as you read the events and, and uh, things that took place around it, there, were, there was absolutely no doubt there was divine providence involved. It, it had to be. So right off the bat, the first thing they do is they get started right. They, they know they need to turn to God uh, for this guidance. They need to, to pray for guidance, leadership, and read something out of the Bible that, that'll encourage them. Um, so that's where they're at. Uh, now, John Jay of New York, uh, he steps forward next and he says, and I quote, I deeply respect the feelings of the gentleman from Massachusetts, which had been Thomas Cushing. However, how can we observe any moment of devotion that would be fitting to us all? This gathering is ripe with Presbyterians, Anabaptists, Episcopalians, Quakers, uh, Congregationalists, and I have doubtless overlooked a few. And so that right there just shows you uh, how, how much trouble they could get into quickly uh, with just a simple suggestion of something, uh, an offering of, you know, somebody, you know, the president, Randolph asked, you know, you know, can we get some suggestion on how to proceed? And that's all he was doing. And all of a sudden, somebody's got an argument. <laughs> So this was the gentleman from New York. Now, in response to that is Edward Rutledge from South Carolina, who says, and I quote, I agree with the gentleman from New York. Let that sink in a minute. We must not offend anyone's prejudice here, not so early in these proceedings. Well, obviously, everybody knows sooner or later uh, somebody's going to be offended, but they didn't want to get into it so early because, you know, you've got to get the ball rolling. Excuse me, and many of them knew that and were trying to avoid anything that would upset the process getting rolling. Uh, <clears throat> in response, there's Sam Adams. He says, and if I may politely suggest, sir, I am no bigot, and I will gladly hear a prayer from any gentleman of piety and virtue who is at the same time a friend of his country. As you know, I am a stranger to Philadelphia. However, I have heard of a clergyman here whose character is well known. I believe his name is Mr. Duchesne. Might I move that this gentleman be allowed to read a prayer to this meeting? 
And of course, they all agree that Reverend Duche would be a, a very good example of somebody who could do it and not offend anybody or any of that nature. So, Reverend Jacob Duche, who is the rector of the Christ Church at Philadelphia, has the task of figuring out a scripture to read. And something tells me that he didn't come to this meeting without something prepared. Uh, if there's anything I know uh, they, that, that preachers like myself are told all the time, don't ever show up to a meeting without something to preach. <laughs> don't do it. Because <laughs> you will be the one to get called on and you're standing there going, uh. So, um, maybe it was the uh, divine presence of the Lord that suggested to Mr. Duche that he needed to bring something and maybe he pointed out what he needed to say. Uh, but as he took the uh, podium there, he opened his Bible to Psalms chapter 35 and he read verses 1 through 3. Psalms 35 verses 1 through 3. And that says, Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for mine help. Draw out also the spear and stop the way against them that persecute me. Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. What a perfect portion of scripture that fits what they were facing. Uh, it comes, it is an actual psalm of King David himself. And it's a prayer against his enemies, of course. You can read it there. It's very clear to understand what it's talking about. And as he finished reading the passage, every member of the Congress gathered together as best they could. There was quite a few of them there, 52 of them, or six. Yeah, 56 of them. So they gathered together as best they could. They bowed their head and got down on their knees, and Reverend Duche prayed a prayer. And this was the prayer. And I'm quoting Reverend Duche. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, high and mighty King of kings and Lord of lords, who dost from thy throne behold all the dwellers on earth and reignest with power supreme and uncontrolled over all the kingdoms, empires, and governments. Look down in mercy, we beseech thee, on these our American states, who have fled to thee from the rod of the oppressor and thrown themselves on thy gracious protection, desiring to be henceforth dependent only on thee. To thee have they appealed for the righteousness of their cause. To thee do they now look up for that countenance and support which thou alone canst give. Take them therefore, Heavenly Father, under thy nurturing care, Give them wisdom and counsel and valor in the field. Defeat the malicious designs of our cruel adversaries. Convince them of the unrighteousness of their cause. And if they persist in their sanguinary purposes of own unerring justice sounding in the hearts, constrain them to drop the weapons of war from their unnerved hands in the day of battle. Be thou present, O God of wisdom, and direct the councils of this honorable assembly, enable them to settle things on the best and surest foundation, that the scene of blood may be speedily closed, 
that order, harmony, and peace may be effectually restored, and truth and justice, religion and piety prevail and flourish among the people. Preserve the health of their bodies and vigor of their minds. Shower down on them the, and the millions here, they here represent such temporal blessings as thou seest expedient for them in this world, and crown them with everlasting glory in the world to come. All this we ask in the name and through the merits of Jesus Christ, thy Son and our Savior. Amen. And so that was the prayer of the Reverend <clears throat> Duche there. And that's how the First Continental Congress was set up and was established. And they didn't quite get so far. I mean, I mean, this first one was kind of like a, uh, for a lack of a better term of understanding, uh, a fishing expedition. They had to understand where people stood, uh, what people were looking for. And so then uh, further events continued. Uh, there was the Battle of Bunker Hill, or Breed's Hill as it actually was. Uh, and this was right before the gathering of the Second Continental Congress, where they agreed that they needed to form an army, and then they elected Colonel George Washington to be the general of the army, and it just rolled up from there. But uh, I just want to take this uh, few episodes here and talk about what led up to this meeting of the very first Continental Congress. This was such a monumental event in and of itself. Uh, staring in the face of opposition like uh, nothing anybody faced before. So it was such a rare thing. Uh, there are many examples of uh, God being involved in the other aspects of American history. Uh, I just wanted to focus on this one. And maybe in the coming years we'll get down to the rest of the other ones and talk about them. Because I'll tell you, man, there, there are some incredible stories of uh, the two sides fighting and the Americans needed a way to escape and a fog bank just covers them or a freak storm just comes out of nowhere and allows them to escape or the English are trying to land such as in the Battle of the uh, Breed's Hill. Uh, the flanking position was trying to land behind the Americans and they didn't know it uh, but the bay uh, or the shore where they were trying to approach was too shallow. The tides had dropped too fast and they couldn't get back there which allowed the Americans to get away. Or there's points of the battles being so heavy that the bullets actually hit each other and drop straight to the ground. And the two, two lugs or, or, or two balls of lead are, are <laughs> mashed completely together. Uh, incredible. Incredible story. I, I'm telling you, it is just that you can see God all over the creation of America. And as it said in that prayer right there, uh, there is no doubt that when these men got together, to thee, I think it says up there, who have fled to thee from the rod of the oppressor and thrown themselves on thy gracious protection, desiring to be henceforth dependent only on thee. Now, if anybody would argue with that, they'd have said something. But this was the prayer, and this was the thought, this was the process. And so when the nation printed their coinage, and it says, in God we trust, that's exactly what it means. That's exactly what it means. All right, so that's the end of that episode. I hope you've enjoyed that. Uh, and we'll pick up on uh, our study of Revelation on the next podcast. Um, again, I would earnestly suggest to you, uh, if you're interested in anything of this history, the first book I would get, the very first book, is Dr. William P. Grady's What Hath God Wrought? 
W-R-O-U-G-H-T, What Hath God Wrought, which of course was the message uh, that Edison first put across the telegraph when he uh, invented it. That was the first message he sent. So that's what it is. And uh, I hope to see you on the next podcast. Uh, have a very safe and a happy 4th of July. Um, let's not forget uh, what had to transpire uh, to allow us to gather like we are with our families, uh, enjoying a picnic or, or just a day off or uh, a cookout. However you're celebrating the 4th of July, let's not forget those that have died to make it possible. Let's not forget those that are uh, buried in the sea, that are on the battlefields across the world, that are in Arlington National Cemetery, um, and just give them a moment of thanks, a moment of thought for their families that sacrificed with them, and and be thankful. Just be thankful. Um, of course, it's not perfect, but nothing is. If it was perfect, we <laughs> we'd be in heaven. I mean, let's just face it. If it was perfect, we'd be in heaven. So, but this is the best that we can do with what we have. So we sure thank the Lord for that. All right. Have a blessed day and thank you so much for listening.